How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? A cry out to you, violence, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Can't you see that destruction and violence are before me and that there is strife and conflict everywhere? Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice, justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. This won't be a sermon today. This won't be church as usual. So if you came here this morning, and I'm glad you're here, but if you came here this morning hoping to hear a sermon, hoping to do church service as usual, you won't get that today. I actually don't want to preach this morning, if I'm being honest with you. I'm tired, really, really tired and angry. The events of this week in Atlanta did something to me, and I'm still processing what I'm feeling, what I'm sensing, and what I'm thinking. And I worry that what I'm going to share with you today won't really be coherent. But church, I don't really feel coherent this morning or these days for that matter. I just would ask that you listen with an open heart, without judgment, and without jumping to conclusions. You know by now that on Tuesday, a 21-year-old white male shot and killed eight people at Asian-owned spas in Atlanta, Georgia. Six of the people who were senselessly murdered were Asian women, all in their 60s and 70s. Not surprisingly, there was immediate denial that the shootings had anything to do with race. Some of the victims weren't Asian, they said. It wasn't a hate crime. It was about sexual addiction gone awry, they said. I suppose we won't ever know the real motive, but here is what I do know. Racism will always try and make sure it's anything but race whenever racialization is a factor. But even if it wasn't ultimately about race, how about instead of deflecting, we collectively asked instead, what does what happened do to further terrorize a community? A community that's been under assault for over a year, and what should be our role in ending it? There was also the disturbing news that the shooter was a self-professed Christian who was a part of a Southern Baptist church who professed a love for God and guns. Whenever you hear God and guns, you'll often find that the roots are usually in white Christian nationalism. And no, today is not about dismantling Christian nationalism. 
But it's hard to ignore the numerous evidence that ties Christian nationalism to anti-immigrant sentiments that have escalated over the last four years. Jesus called his disciples, you and me, to lay down our swords. Christian nationalists want to pick up their guns instead. Which is more important, Christian? The second commandment to love your neighbor as yourself or the second amendment and your right to own guns? To many of us in the Asian community, the effects of this massacre on Tuesday was visceral. It was not hard to imagine for many of us that that could have been our own sisters, our own mothers, our own aunts, our own grandmothers. And many of us are asking, why did so many ignore the cries of violence, violence coming from our communities this past year? Why did it take the mass murder of eight lives, lives created in the image of God, worthy of dignity, to finally get the attention that this deserved? For an entire year, there had been within Asian American communities a collective fear, grief, lament, and rage over the escalating anti-Asian violence and trauma. For a year, Asian Americans woke up every day wondering if there was going to be news of yet another Asian man or Asian woman being attacked, assaulted, and murdered. For an entire year, Asian Americans had to endure law enforcement as well as lawmakers repeatedly downplaying the dangerous rise of hate crimes towards Asians. For an entire year, the Asian community tried to warn anyone who would listen that when Donald Trump began calling COVID the Kung Flu or the China virus, those who were aware of how race operates in this country knew that we were about to experience a surge of racism against Asian Americans that we haven't seen in a while. According to data collected by Stop the AAPI Hate, since March of last year, there have been over 3,800 self-reported incidents of anti-Asian violence from all 50 states and District of Columbia. And yes, these numbers are woefully lower than the actual numbers since people are hesitant to self-report hate crimes. Another analysis released by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism found a nearly 150% increase in hate crimes against Asian Americans in 16 of America's largest cities with particularly drastic surges in New York City and Los Angeles. A thousand of these cases in California alone. Maybe you're one of the many who only came to realize what was happening because of shocking video footage of anti-Asian violence that's only recently gone viral. Viewers of these videos witness racist acts of violence ranging from stabbings and beatings to verbal harassment and bullying to being spit on and shunned. 
while being spit on as utterly offensive and dehumanizing. In the time of coronavirus, it is also potentially lethal. But despite all this, and while the Asian American community continues to suffer under the weight of these horrendous incidents, the hardest thing for me as an Asian American is that almost every time I've mentioned this kind of violence to someone, including some of you listening today, the response has been, I am so sorry, I just didn't know. And I want to say, how could you not know? Are we invisible to you? Do you see me? Do you see us? I need you to hear me when I say this. When I see those victims, I see my dad, I see my mom, I see my aunts, I see my uncles, my sisters, and my brothers. Those victims could have easily been them, and it could easily be me tomorrow. How many more shocking videos will we have to watch before this country believes us when we say that anti-Asian racism and violence is real? Will we always be perpetual foreigners in this land? Will this country and its people continue to dismiss and erase our experiences because we're Asian? I've heard people say that they just didn't know because it's not in the news. It's not surprising to most Asian Americans that over the course of this past year, the mainstream media outlets, doesn't matter if it's CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, the mainstream media outlets have only loosely covered issues related to anti-Asian violence and racism, and certainly not right away. We are literally dying to be heard. The question, of course, then, is why? In the face of such obvious bigotry, atrocity, hate, and injustice, why is the story of anti-Asian racism and violence not being told, not just in mainstream media, but in our churches, in our homes, among your family and your friends? Why do Asian Americans have to continue to experience the double trauma of racial violence and at the same time have our experiences be continually erased? Why do people not believe that we are discriminated against and harassed because of our race? Where does this deafening silence around anti-Asian violence and racism come from? Some of the deafening silence around anti-Asian violence and racism comes from our own cultural conditioning. It's taught us to be quiet and not raise a fuss and assimilate. We Asians have been told the nail that sticks out gets hammered. It's been drilled into our consciousness from the very beginning. And because we don't talk about it, people don't think it's an issue. Because we are invisible, the racism against us has also been invisible. Our cultural conditioning also means that we are non-confrontational to a fault. We want to maintain peace even if it's false 
peace. So what happens is that we bury the pain and the hurts. We bury the anger, the rage, and often suffer in silence and often alone. My Asian brothers and sisters who hold so much. Those of you who hold so much, who've been hurting, I see you, sister. I see you, brother. I honor and respect your strength and your courage. Even if this country we live in doesn't see how strong and how courageous you are, I see you and I honor you. And don't let anyone tell you that your pain doesn't matter or that it isn't real. Don't let anyone tell you that what you are going through and what you have gone through isn't that big of a deal. And whatever you do, please, please do not let white supremacy convince you that racism against Asians isn't all that bad or that it doesn't exist. So why the deafening silence around anti-Asian violence and racism in this country? Let's tell the truth today. And the hard, difficult, uncomfortable truth that we have to face is that our society doesn't place a high value on the Asian American experience or our voices. It never has. We are considered a second-class issue and not worthy of mainstream attention. I want to say up front that I do not have time this morning to give sufficient attention to unpack the massive, enduring, historical, and sociological factors that have brought us to where we are today. Today is not the time for that, nor do I, as a Korean immigrant who came here at the age of 10, speak for all my Asian brothers and sisters. My experiences, while having some things in common with other Asians, are unique to my own story. So I will admittedly paint with broad strokes today. But historically, many would say that there are two forces, two deeply ingrained and enduring stereotypes that have caused Asian Americans and our experiences to be overlooked in this country. The first is the perpetual foreigner syndrome, where Asians are assumed to be foreigners until proven otherwise. Do you know what it's like to be asked, where are you from, even though you've lived in this country for 40 years? Do you know how condescending and degrading it is to be told by someone? You know, your English is so good. Do you have any idea how that makes one feel? I've lived in this country since I was 10 years old. And the 40 years that I've been here, 40 years that I've been here, there has not been a single day where I wasn't reminded that I will always be the other. I will never quite fit in because of my race and my ethnicity. 
We are perpetual foreigners in this country that we call home. We will always be othered in one form or another. The ongoing story of Asian Americans will always be that somehow we don't actually get to belong in America regardless of our contributions, regardless of how long we have been here. But there is a second reason, a much more complex reason for our voices being ignored and oftentimes muted. It's called the model minority myth. The myth that Asians are somehow smarter and more successful than other minority groups. And my Asian brothers and sisters, let's be honest about how we have often unwillingly perpetrated this myth, a myth propagated by the dominant culture to divide us, to drive a wedge between us and other ethnic minorities, particularly our black brothers and sisters. This myth has been used by the dominant culture to say to other minorities, look at those Asians, they made it, why can't you? Stop complaining. If they can do it, so can you. And truth be told, part of the reason why we often remain passive and quiet and don't speak up is because we ourselves have embraced and internalized this myth. We are good Asians after all, and good Asians don't disrupt the status quo. As my friend Sung Chan Ra says, Asians oscillate between pet and threat. We are welcomed in this country when we are economically useful, but we're vilified as the yellow peril when we threaten entrenched interests. History is littered with examples of how this has been played out in this country. Whether it be the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 to Filipino-American laborers throughout California being discriminated against and violently attacked during the 1920s and 30s to innocent American citizens of Japanese descent being unjustly incarcerated in mass during World War II to Asian Americans being demonized as the enemy regardless of their ethnic origin during war in Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos to Southeast Asian Americans of diverse ethnicity suffering violence and discrimination alongside our Middle Eastern Americans after 9-11. History is replete with examples. So Asian Americans have perpetually lived in the in-between world, the world where I am neither Asian nor American, and the in-both world, the world where I am both Asian and American. We are caught between the perception that we are inevitably foreign and the temptation that we can be allied with white people in a country built on white supremacy. So we continue to experience oppression, suffering, discrimination, and rejection. And yet our stereotypes as both perpetual foreigners and model minorities lead to our erasure and the invisibility of our struggles. 
There is so much more that can be said. But let me end with some words to my fellow Asian sisters and brothers, and then to you, the larger community. First, I want to say a word mainly to my fellow Asian sisters who are bearing the brunt of the racism and violence, more than twice that of Asian men, according to most statistics. My sisters, we see you. We love you. We hear you. We need you. I am so sorry that you're hurting. I am so sorry that you are stereotyped and not seen as individuals. I am so sorry that you have to endure a culture where you are assumed to be pushover, submissive, and docile. I am so sorry that you have been looked upon as being easy targets who won't fight back or stand up for yourself. I am so sorry that you are often reduced to being sexual objects by the Western male gaze. I am so sorry. My sisters, I am so sorry that people question your strength, your courage, your tenacity, your talents, and your abilities. We in the Asian American communities know who you are, that you have often been the backbone of our families and our communities, that without you, we wouldn't be who we are today, where we are today. You are strong. You are worthy of love, honor, and respect. My Asian brothers and sisters, we know that the end of this global pandemic will not end the pandemic of the ongoing xenophobia and anti-Asian racism. So as we persevere, I want to encourage you to do two things. First is pray. And let me be clear, I am talking about the kinds of prayers that is foreign to people of privilege, but prayers that have given hope to those who know the pain of injustice, the pain of evil, and the pain of oppression. I'm talking about the kind of prayers where the people of God don't just pray for the oppressed to be delivered, but for the oppressors to be judged. I'm reminded of my mom's wails of lamentation and guttural shouts from the depths of her soul as she endured racism and prejudice as an immigrant just trying to survive. It's the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 94. One, O Lord, the God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, let your glorious justice shine forth. Arise, O judge of the earth, give the proud what they deserve. Crying out for justice, for the vindication of the innocent and the punishment of the guilty as, as important now as it was then. It is okay 
More than that, it is right for people of faith to cry out and ask that our God of justice bring justice swiftly and thoroughly now, even as we wait for his return to make all things right. Second, my brothers and sisters, be sure to take the time to grieve, to mourn, and to lament over the evil and the pain and the suffering and the injustice. As Paul says in Romans 8, along with all of creation, we too groan for the day of redemption. It is perfectly right for us to get in God's face as Habakkuk did and say, God, I'm angry. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm confused. God, I don't know what to feel or how to feel. It's perfectly right for us to sit and feel the brokenness of our world. And as we do, remember that in Jesus, you have someone who understands what you are going through and where you are. He was literally beaten and stabbed and spit on and shunned. He knows what it's like to be the perpetual foreigner. He knows the sting of injustice and betrayal. Remember that you have in Jesus a God who did something about it, a God who willingly became embroiled in the suffering, the pain, and the injustice of our world so that someday he could end all suffering and pain and injustice without ending us. We worship a God who sees your tears and promises that one day he will come back and wipe every single tear from your eyes. And now a word to my non-Asian brothers and sisters. There is so much that I want to say to you right now. Wake up. Wake up. Because your Asian friends and family are deeply grieving and horrified and sick to their stomachs and angry right now. Check in on us. Your Asian brothers and sisters really need you, even if they aren't publicly grieving on social media. Call them, text them, stop by their homes, and remind them that they are not alone right now, that their voices matter. The scriptures remind us how the countercultural kingdom community does life together. Romans 2:15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 1 Corinthians 12:26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. In this kingdom community, we care about what happens to the other members of the body because when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And your Asian sisters and brothers are hurting and angry and in deep mourning right now. And the way of Jesus is to see them, to acknowledge their pain and to mourn with them and suffer with them and lament with them. It's okay if you don't know what to say. Listen, just listen. Listen to the stories of your Asian friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and your church family. Our stories have not been told. 
And the culture at large has said, we don't care. So listen to their stories without prejudice, without judgment, without assumption. Simply letting them tell their stories. Without you jumping to conclusions. And when you listen to people, you are communicating non-verbally that they're important to you. So listen, listen, and do something. I've said to you repeatedly that the kind of justice movement that will turn the tide in this country cannot and will not happen until those of us who are unaffected care about these issues just as much as those who are affected. You see, when you care about the people, then you begin to care about the situations and the issues that they're in. So educate yourself. Support causes that amplify Asian American voices and causes. And if you see something, say something. Speak without ambiguity against racism of every kind. Faithful Christian witness requires anti-racist work and silence only perpetuates the sins not addressed. Silence deepens our family members' pain because it feels like they're suffering all alone. So speak up and speak out against all forms of racism. The evils of racism must be called out and named and resisted and fought on all fronts. We have to engage with all the ways that the evil virus of racism has infected our communities and our churches and our institutions. We must do more than just counter-protest. We must proactively protest for the kind of nation, for the kind of people that we want to be. Complacency only leads to greater ignorance and greater injustice. Do something. Say something. Get involved. And a final word to all of us. While we engage, we must, we must, we must look to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our ultimate hope. In this Lenten season, we remember that Jesus took on flesh to embody God's healing and bind the wounds of the brokenhearted. By this healing work, Jesus gathers what Dr. King referred to as the beloved community, which embodies the interdependence, the interconnectedness, the interwovenness, and the kinship of all people. The gospel is the only answer in order for true healing and reconciliation to fully occur between God and humanity and across every racial and social lines. The gospel is the only thing that I could hang on to. The gospel is the only thing that I can Hang on to when the systems and the people 
of this world continually fail those that I love again and again and again and again. In a moment, our sister Ruth will lead us in a time of response. And as we prepare our hearts to respond, I want to pray Psalm 13, the Psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me, God. Look on me and answer me. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fail. But I trust in your unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. For you have been good to me. For you have been good to me.